insert musical intro here. It's time for SideQuest Completed. Featuring JC and Calvin here tonight on WSQC. WSQC. Local How are you doing? Pod, radio podcast. Hobbyist podcast show thing. How am I doing? I'm doing uh, not too bad. Uh, we are still unpacking from the move and the exhausting move that contributed to us not recording more last week. And I am. Those still, are always exhausting. Yeah. You know, a little bit of a late start to recording as well. So I'm starting that off. But I have a desk. I have my laptop set up here in our new office. I have what seems like a lot of quiet, which is nice. So I have to make a little bit of noise from outside. I figure with a little bit of tweaking, like maybe a foam panel in each of the two normal sized windows, mm-hmm. that would pretty much eliminate all worthwhile noise. And I'd be set. Sweet. Or even do like a little, like, uh, it doesn't get too warm, like sort of foam hood thing to go over the desk to make it extra quiet. Might be overkill. It also sounds promising now that I say it. Yeah, something you got on for customizing and personalizing, and that's always nice. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's just my girlfriend and I in the new place, new house. So, we can have a little more freedom to change things up as we see fit. Right. So, that's, that's good. Yeah, so that's my excuse for not doing, having more game dev creative stuff is moving and having to take time to prepare that space for the creative work, which is always important. We're still packing, so I'm going still packing, so it's going to be a little bit longer to get more stuff done. But one thing I am very definitely going to do is more progress on the novel. I've got two people, I have desperately, on a deadline, I have to write two contracts for folks to get the line edits applied to the draft and design work, layout work, started on the print book. So I'm going to power it. Nice. Heck, maybe even tonight if I focus enough and don't fall asleep. And go from there. So fingers crossed. All right. Well, you had a really good and practical excuse for not getting any game work done, and I have a <laughs> less practical excuse, which is just that I have had a lot of excitement in other areas over the last couple of weeks. Um, so this is my sort of my non-game development side is uh, all my things in the Python world, and um, kind of serendipitously, I both committed to. Um, being co-chair of a PyCon remote conference that Ooh. we're putting together, which the idea is, um, well, exactly what it sounds like, which is a Python convention that is remote only. All the videos will be streamed live with like online spaces for people to congregate around the talks and a virtual hallway track sort of experience. And then we'll archive all the videos for uh, people to see anytime if they couldn't see it at the right time. And um, it's going to be really great because a lot of people can't make it. Um, but at the same time I was committing to this, I also had people reach out to me from the regular PyCon or like, wow, from like physically, cause it was there, um, that was last week, um, about reviving a Pi Carolinas convention that I ran a few years ago Ooh. and doing another one. So now I'm doing that too. Uh, and I just met with who is essentially going to be my co-chair, um, yesterday and kind of hashed out 
you know, what we're both committed to putting together and there's a ton of excitement around it. So there's no way I can not do it because it's, it's going to be great. And I'm, I'm really excited about it. And I'm still, you know, I'll, I'll turn my excitement back to my game soon, but the last couple of weeks have been, um, just kind of putting ideas together and talking to people and, um, being very excited for, for all that coming up all of a sudden. Nice. Yeah. That's like a really good opportunity. That's the Corbin conference. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah. hopefully, yeah, two at the same time isn't a terrible idea. It's it's not a good idea. Well, the remote the remote but, thing but, shouldn't be very intensive. Uh, you know, I don't have to put together logistics for a venue or to feed people or anything like that. Um, it'll be much much less resource and effort intensive than actual physical conference. So, I think it'll be okay. That fingers crossed. Yeah, and I'm trying to not over volunteer myself um, at the new job. I could all make a splash, but I don't want to face plant in the water. So, actually, I almost got my, yeah, and I almost got my first client this week, being going with a different developer. So I'm still waiting to be officially doing paid work at this job. So it's this means I need to learn more data engineering and Scala, and Java, and Python, machine learning, and all that in the meantime. So. My biggest concern there is that I'm going to start wanting to add that stuff like, to my game. I don't need it. And that segues us perfectly into the topic for today. Mary Kondo and the game-changing magic of reducing scope. Yeah, and as little time as either of us put into our games, it seems, that's going to come in really handy. Oh, yeah. Because one of the ways, only, one of the ways I'm going to be able to actually complete Anthrotari is by dramatically reducing the scope. From my earliest aspirations, which include things like um, a pseudo email client, other stuff, AR, uh, ARG, alternate reality gaming content, whatnot. That might eventually add, but more of a addition to after getting a complete game out there. I can't let any of the other stuff, which is I want it, much as it would increase immersion to prevent the game itself from coming out. Yeah, so I actually got some right. quotes from the book. I've actually read the whole Mary Kondo book, The Life Changing Magic of Tidying Up, and quite enjoyed it. You can tell I enjoyed it because it's so dog-eared from my note-taking. And, yes, and, because, yeah. and uh, I guess anybody listening can't see, but in our notes, you've got a lot of quotes you've pulled out that you clearly got some value from. So, yeah, I can yeah. tell you really enjoyed it and, and got a lot out of it. Yeah, it was fairly topical in the context of moving between places too, so... Yeah, that's a good that. time for it. Yeah. So I guess for the first quote, these are just all in chronological order. Well, page order. First one was what? When your room is clean and uncluttered, you have no choice but to examine your inner state. That was in the context of why to declutter, mm-hmm. what's some of the psychology behind decluttering, and why we resist decluttering. Answer. Yeah, because maybe I don't want to see what's in there. Yeah. Like clutter, in this case, game clutter, metaphorically, is ugly code, leftover code, features that we implemented thinking we wanted them or half implemented and don't want to let go because we want to finish the finish that feature one of these days. Sorry, we're going to step through today. Uh, Jesus are coming for me. 
So um, whenever I did um, Chrono Blast, the little one-month game I did at the beginning of the year, there were a, lot of, a bunch of extra features that I had decided to rip out towards the end of the month, deciding I had to cut the scope down and make sure I finished it within my, my goal scope of a, a, or time box of a month. Yeah. Um, and when I did, I, I still think the game came out okay, but I definitely did realize once I didn't have all the features that I still wanted to do in front of me to do, I was able to focus on how the game actually played and felt, and it was not as fun as I as I hoped, you know. But I um, I couldn't see that as well whenever I still was sort of distracted by all these things I'm still going to add and all that work that I was still looking at. So I, know, I, th- right? I think that's how I see this applying. Sort of is um, you can really distract yourself from the reality of the game if you're focusing on all these what ifs and one days that it's actually not. Right. Yeah, it's a similar thing with the Crystal Beast Tarasque for the game jams that I kept wanting to add new functionality for the battle system, but a new combat feature wasn't the same as getting the core gameplay actually working. And when I actually got that to a state, I could see that as nice as the different battle commands were, the actual core gameplay loop wasn't that engrossing. So yeah, getting rid of that decluttering that feature set definitely helped. And uh, same, yeah. That same point. Uh, next quote is: uh, "Tidying is just a tool, not the final destination." Because we always talk about when to cut scope, trim things down, all that is still in service of getting to a complete, releasable game. That's our real destination. Yeah. Well. Another way you might interpret this is that um, if you cut down the scope to get to that that really to get to that thing that you can ship out or get out the door, get to pe- in, into people's hands and have in play, you may still once you get to that point find that there is something then to do. But you're starting then from a point where you have something already shippable. You know, like one thing I am trying to do more is that point where it is always shippable, or at least yeah. by some point it's always shippable. But I might still work on it after that. But every step I do is from one shippable state to the next, and so that tidying or that reduced reduction of scope um, is so that I can make that path easier. Yeah, that brings me another quote: um, by paring down to the volume that you can properly handle. You revitalize relationship with your belongings. And so like you're doing just that by getting the game down to mm-hmm. always shippable, you could properly evaluate each perspective new feature or each perspective restored feature in the context of a completed game and really understand whether you actually wanted it in the game or not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, somehow this reminds me of, of a... This is development-related, but less game, or at least from my experience, uh, an old project I worked on, or at least an old place I worked with, um, you know, all your issue trackers always have like a backlog. It was pretty standard. Yeah. The one place that I worked at where we had a backlog, and then they made a whole separate thing in Jura that they called the parking lot Ugh. of all the tickets that aren't even ready to go in the backlog yet. But it helped because it was all these things that someday maybe we'll do this, and someday maybe we have the time to even think about planning to do it but right now we can't even be distracted by it being on the docket as something we might pick up and that was it was helpful yeah no speaking of someone who's seen many a parking lot in the same 
uh, Jira context, often literally in Jira more than once. You never get around to that stuff. Almost never. I'll, I'll be honest. We actually <laughs> did pick up a few things from there. Yeah. It wasn't, but I was also specifically on a team that was doing a bunch of new things and like rebuilding site from scratch. Yeah. That was back whenever we were uh, rebuilding things for this new idea of a responsive web. Oh yeah. So we actually were mandated to do new things and not have to deal with a bunch of old croft. Yeah, which is a nice position oh. to be in. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, really. I've seen that on um, maintenance work where. If by the time something gets to the backlog as maintenance work, it's so far removed from what conceivably is important that it'll probably never get around to it. It's one of those things where it's like if it was an article of clothing, we would just donate it because it's mm-hmm. two sizes too small when you last wore it to your uh, when you're still in college. Yeah, yeah. I actually um, I used to always try to advocate for when we we're doing like sprint planning and stuff, like set aside like. 10% of the story points and let let the developers pick anything they want to spend time on. And, you know, maybe that's some of that oldest un, unlooked at tickets. But, you know, that's not going to happen if, if you don't carve out some sort of resource or attention for it. But, yeah, that never actually happens. It never did happen as much as I asked for it. Yeah. I'm another quote. It's a, the idea of decorate your closet with your secret delights. That's in the hmm. context of Suggesting that everyone should have a closet or other small space that is another quote, everyone needs a sanctuary. Some it's little it's space that can be just theirs, that they can fully own, don't have to worry about other people messing with. And it's so like, what, what, what is the, in, in this context that we're talking about, what is the closet and what is the sanctuary? You know, it's, it's, they're two different things. Um, oh, yeah. Because I, I think maybe the closet is like um, side projects or, you know, those little things that, that scratch some itch that your job doesn't, which, you know, maybe yeah. that is our game development since we both do it on the side. Um, exactly. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, it's like sometimes like it's really tempting to get a whole huge team together for some game projects, especially if it's really ambitious. Mm-hmm. At the same time, sometimes you need a code base so you can just go into, noodle around with, have fun, and not have any pressure to release. I mean, there are many game, many a good indie game that have come out of people making something just for the joy of it with no intention of making a good game, but because they were not preoccupied with making a quote-unquote great game or bestseller game, they focus on only the fun parts and that came out in the gameplay. Yeah. Good thing at GA2 was like taking the time to put little Easter eggs in your game, little character Defining stuff, little things that market as your game more than anything generic. Yeah, I, I that's interesting because I I take this more as the the technical side, and I'm actually thinking of a non game thing I have, which yeah. is um, every single day there's a tool that I use for writing. I, I write my my essays or blog posts. I write in it. My daily journal, my morning pages, my work notes. Everything is written oh, in, in one tool. You there? No, I think it's keeping again. Hello. I'll start back from. I'll start back from the top. Can you hear me? I think so. Yeah. Okay, you're faded out. Um, okay, where, where where should I start back at? Um, right from the top, talking about the tools you were using. Yeah. So I I think of this uh the the closet is like the sort of um 
the technical secret delights, I guess, like yeah. the, the things that you work on because you enjoy working on it. And it reminded me of a, a tool that I use when I'm writing. I wrote in my journal, my morning pages, my essays and blog posts, and my work notes. It's a tool that I wrote for myself and that I maintain all the time tinkering with. It's a writing program that only I use and only I have seen. And it's not even in a Git repo. And it's just one gigantic script file. And nobody will ever see it. But it's just, it's exactly what I want and how I want to do it. And I don't have to think about anybody else or sharing it or releasing it or the code looking presentable to anybody but me. Yeah. That's really important to have that kind of space to let your ideas grow and just from it. Uh, there's one author, one game creator I follow online, I think Lauren Schmidt. Have done that correctly? Yeah, I think and, uh, I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, their games have the same kind of feel, even though they do them much more publicly. They feel much more like, inner life driven. That mm -hmm. happens to be expressed in code. That happens to end up online. And it feels like a very rich, rich inner life being expressed in that context. Yeah, I, I know what you mean from the the both the aesthetic and what seems to be behind uh, a lot of the games they make. Yeah. I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd love to be able to have that kind of feel in some of the, the things that I eventually put out. I'm not sure how to do that intentionally because with the people who I see who do that, that just kind of seems to be more of a natural approach that, at least from the outside, doesn't look so intentional or, you know, like something they were reaching for. But I see it and I'm like, I, I want to do that. And I don't know if I can do it if my goal is to do it intentionally. Like that might sort of spoil it. Possibly. I guess some of it's trial and error, too. I guess brings by another Mary Kondo quote. Um, One of the magical effects of tidying is confidence in your decision-making capacity. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's like full of little gems, isn't it? This is just the stuff that I thought was most applicable to this discussion, too. Never mind. Look, it's all at the... It's not even, like, 3% of what I was underlining in the book. I, I can definitely relate to this one a lot. Um, recently, I've done a lot. I, I might have talked to this last episode, too, that I've been doing a lot of work and sort of improving my self-organization and, like, you know, making sure that I'm keeping track of what I'm doing, that I, I have a clear list of what it is I'm doing through the day and, and that all the decisions I'm making for what I need to do next is really... You know, it's kind of I, I lean heavy in the, the getting things done kind of methodology around that and trying to find the ways I can put in front of my face all the time what is the next thing I need to do. And one of the things I've mm, yeah. realized through that is that when I'm actually doing things, I'm not making decisions because I am deferring to past me and what I've already decided. So the, the me that's doing things is a separate person from the me that made decisions about what needs done. And that's its own kind of confidence in that decision making because it's you know at the time you're doing it, you're not questioning whether or not it was the right idea or that's what you should be doing right now. You've already made that decision and you just do it. Exactly. This I think it was uh, Paul Graham throws it in an essay: uh, "Make your mind versus manage your mind." That's why it's mm. so important to do planning and producing in two different cognitive contexts. That's why you shouldn't try to. It's why it's such a bad idea to start something right ahead of any sort of thought work because you'll burn through all your brain juice. Yeah. Or you have any, all your mental power before you've uh, 
halfway through the job and you won't have any brain power left to make more plans. But if you make a plan, even if it's not necessarily a great one, once you have some sort of structure to your approach, be it something as simple as just I'll focus on this one room to unpack in. Yeah. And, I, and then like do it or like I'll do living room first, then bedroom first and office first. That leads you all the more, the less your, your inertia take over once you're actually working. My, my worst days as far as productivity are the days whenever I hit a point that I'm not sure what to do next. And once right. that happens, it's really hard to get that, that momentum back up. Uh, that decision-making, yeah, that, that takes a lot out because the things you could spend time on make a big difference in the quality and value of what you put out. So I can, you know, even a small decision of what you spend the next couple hours on can feel like a big decision at the time if you're not sure what it should be. Especially, I think there's a sort of a, a counter effect to being able to um, do this better. Whereas, like if I spend, if I start the day and up to lunch, I make no decisions and I just knock tasks out of the park one after another. That momentum contrasted with not knowing what to do next is almost even worse than if I'm always not sure what to do next. Because you hit the wall moving a lot faster. Yeah. And that hurts because you're at high velocity and suddenly, bam. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like the same way that the worst time to decide whether you should include a feature in a game or not is when you're in the editor halfway through adding it and have a bunch of failing tests. Yeah, yeah, I haven't yeah. thought about that, but stopping yourself from making decisions at particular times. Like, I've thought a lot about like setting aside time to make decisions and making those and recording them so that I can follow through with them later, but making the explicit decision that this work time is time when no decisions are made, um, that sounds like a pretty good idea. Yeah, because otherwise uh, you can burn a lot of brain power just second guessing yourself the whole time you're trying to put a feature. Yeah, I, I really like that. That's a good focus. Yes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about that some more because I nice. one, one thing I've noticed myself doing is I take notes throughout the day as I'm working and then I, the next morning I go back and I reread my notes and I take a highlight of everything that I need to do something with. And I think kind of without planning this explicitly, that sort of happened. There are drop like, questions or thoughts in there that then become decisions to make the next day. Yeah, but thinking that explicitly is, is good. I'm gonna I'm gonna carry that. Nice. Yeah, even have a nice kind of quote to follow up. Clutter has only two possible causes: too much effort is required to put things away, or it's unclear where things belong. Yeah. Yeah, because it's not all clear. Yeah, because if you're trying to add features without an idea of, I mean, for sake of adding the feature, it could very well that could be part of the problem. If there isn't an obvious natural fit in the code or in the design of the game for a new feature, there may not be a place for it there. Yeah, it's it seems to almost always be that second one for me, the the unclear about where, where something belongs, both for actual yeah. clutter and mental and technical clutter. Um, yeah. It's always it's always that. It's very rarely that I actually don't have the effort to just do the putting away so I don't know what to do with it or when to implement a feature, or which thing to work on. And a difficult decision is to throw those things away. And, and then I'm talking more of the technical things. I'm getting better at getting rid of the physical things I don't need. Yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, there's like things like 
if you have a long list of games you want to work on, which ones are you just going to decide I'm never going to make this? Yeah. Um, or, you know, or for the features as we're talking about mostly for, for today, um, or the language that you're never going to learn, you know, programming languages that we always learn one after another. Uh, this comes up just in like every single aspect of being a developer, frankly. Oh yeah. There's another quote. Um, we in mass material things for the same reason that we eat to satisfy a craving. And I think anyone listening who's done some game dev can identify with that. How many times have we started a game because we saw, we thought, saw something in a game that we could do better and then took a good stab at it or were deeply inspired just in passing with something not a game we wanted to gamify or just had a really neato tech idea we wanted to make real. But I mean, I can think of, I've probably got three, four, five game ideas just in one notebook, for example, just coming out of the blue from noticing something interesting. And as cool as they all are, it's a question of whether I'm really wanting to make the game or looking for a diversion from other stuff. Because Anthotari is a different, because it's a more complete project looking for to set, like, to completion uh, for various reasons. But, you know, for example, I'll back the CBD, CBT, Crystal Beast to Rask game jam I did earlier this year was fun at all, but entirely attraction from other things, both frustrating work stuff and to distract me from the anxiety of having not made more progress in Anthrotari. So definitely came very much out of a cravings and really unsatisfied. If you uh, if you take this metaphor of eating a little further, you can think about eating as ephemeral. You know, you eat something and you consume it and you enjoy dessert or your meal or whatever, and you move on. Um, and like when you're talking about technical cravings, whether it's a feature you want to try to do better in your game than what you saw if you think you do it better or a particular technique, tool, language, whatever that you want to try out. Um, learning to treat those ephemerally is important. Like everything yeah. that you sit down to write, you know, code-wise or project-wise, doesn't have to be a huge thing that you release and you know maintain forever. You make something and throw it away the same day because you want to scratch that itch yeah. and, and treat those as ephemeral. That's um, that's something I've learned over the last few years that's been really helpful for not amassing all these side projects and eventual goals for, for these things. Try it out and just treat it as that try, uh, trying it out and throwing it away. And that's okay. Be okay with it being temporary. Yep. It's like uh, another great quote, really, the one I like. It's talking in the context of discarding books that you've been sitting on your shelf that you've been meaning to read for years and years. And the quote is, um, the book's purpose was to teach you and that you didn't need it. So instead of thinking it's just pure waste or bad decision or whatnot, you can recontextualize, reframe your book's, the pure position of the book as an opportunity to learn what you're not going to read and carry that lesson forward to other books that you're tempted to read or feel like you're supposed to read and avoid getting them in the first place because you've learned that's not the kind of book that you're going to read in timely fashion. 
Similarly, you can try a different language, find out it's not really to your taste, try certain kind of game genres in the context of Game Jam, and finally you don't like, let's say, Tetris-like games. You might not like fighting games or whatnot. You might like certain kinds of aesthetics. But while I feel like a waste to take the game you started that wasn't really a fit for you and never complete it, it still taught you something. Which could be something as simple as now you know better than to invest more time in that kind of game. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's important. Um, you don't want to be beholden to these things that were supposed to bring you some amount of joy or fulfillment either. Yeah. That's another great follow-up quote. I was it in context of disposing of a book. The idea that quote, if you want the book so badly after getting rid of it that you're willing to buy another copy, then buy one. And this time, read it and study it. So I mean, that seems of... like she just wants to make more money, too. Yeah. Well, she's not like she gets royalties on books that are her own. So, yeah. Oh, okay. I thought this was specifically referring to, you know, the book you're reading at the time when you uh, get these quotes. Yeah, he's a book uh, from the library. Okay, okay. Yeah, all right, all right. That's a little more um, widely applicable then. Okay. Yeah, so a great example is that I just got two books in the mail that I've already read the audiobook, uh, the ebooks of, Rosen's audiobooks of, but I enjoyed them so much that I went ahead and got physical copies to read separately, read away from digital distractions, and mark up as I like it in dog ear. Whereas there are other books I'm going to give away this week because I've had them on my shelf for five, sometimes ten years. And if I was going to read them, it would have been sometime in the last five years. Hmm. Yeah. Same thing for game projects. Yeah, the other ones I've had sitting there for ages, sometimes going back to like the early to mid-2000s, a long, long time ago. And if I was ever going to complete those games, I would have done that a long time ago. So bear to let that go and focus on the games in the moment. Yeah. Getting a little heady here. Serious game dev business. Yeah, it's it's tough because I don't know, it's it's really easy to especially you're talking about like putting away something that you haven't ever found the time to even start like a, you know a book that you have not even gotten into is even tougher sometimes than getting rid of something that you've read like half of because you know like there's always that maybe when i do crack it open it will be the best thing i've ever read or it will change my life or uh it's just the less you know about something that you haven't gotten into yet then the, the more liability it can feel like there is to getting rid of it yeah uh but you can't you can't sample every single everything to figure out which ones are or which though exactly yeah i mean it's a really great quote um by eliminating excess visual information that doesn't inspire joy you can make your space much more peaceful and comfortable that's in the context of having lots of written text and other visual distractions like book titles or signs or labels on things out where you can see it and think about how it's impossible for a brains, the average person, to not read something that they see. Our brains just are inclined to read it 
and thinking about it briefly and all that just because it crossed mm-hmm. our line of sight. Yeah, so sometimes we just need to like take those games that we um, are never going to complete and archive them far away. Like back them up somewhere really solid and then delete the GitHub repo so it's not always there haunting us. Um, get off the shelf or whatnot. Take those books that we're never going to read about game development in Perl or in COBOL and let those go so we can make room for the noticing the books and shelves that we do want to read or are eager to revisit or didn't even realize that we had in the first place. This is so much harder whenever information and new material is so much easier to come yeah. by. I Yesterday at Humble Bundle, I bought 14 uh-huh. new Python books. Yeah. All at once. Just like that. And now I've got all those sitting on my Kindle just waiting for me to never read. Yeah, um, that's... That's like a really subtle, and obvious danger of digital archives, especially digital bookshelves, is that it's harder to get rid of your books, your other games and whatnot, than you used to be able to. It's yeah. Just, they sit I, there and fill up, and you decide all, you really worry about doing anything too much to quote unquote get rid of it, because it's like you get a refund or anything, or you get resale value, or you can gift it away. It just lose access. So, yeah, that's one thing. One reason to consider getting more physical copies of stuff is that you can either get rid of it with finality, archive it with finality, um, get money back, or at the very least, get someone else to get to enjoying it uh, when you no longer enjoy it. Yeah, one small decision I, I made that has helped with at least one form of media in my games is I set the the filter to only show installed games on Steam, for example, so that yeah. even though there is a laughably huge collection of games I haven't played that I have paid money for, when I'm actually looking, I'm only seeing the things that I have currently, to some degree or another, committed or decided that I want actually on my computer, and so I may actually play at some point. I'm not looking at that distraction of everything. So there's also the a side effect of digital media where you can keep something, but also tuck it away where it's not constantly bugging you. Yeah. Um, at least then you, I, it can kind of help to, um, to be able to get rid of some, but feel like if you ever needed to go back, you can. Whereas if you get rid of a physical book or, or, or DVD or something, you might wonder, well, you know, what if, what if I think of this, but then I can't find a copy later. Um, yeah. So I think they can go both ways as to which is better for this. Yeah, definitely in the direction of. The discarding it because I can think of a whole bunch of anime I've had, for example, for but a part of a decade that I've never going to rewatch or they're going to watch in the first place. And even if I feel a little guilty about that, I remind myself that there's a lot of, well, frankly, better stuff out there now that I've wanted to get around to instead. Yeah. yeah. So I have no idea if this is actually if this has had a big effect on me that I, but it may sound like it does. So when I was like fresh out of high school and I just moved out, at some point during some car trip, I put my case of CDs as we had in the early aughts on top of my car while I was sorting through it, and then I drove down the highway and I lost my entire CD collection. And then a few years later. While visiting my family, I found my old computer at my mother's house in the basement 
where I had ripped all of my CDs to MP3. Nice. So, again, that, that ability to archive and be able to come back and, you know, save the things that you thought you had lost. That, yeah. that, that I don't know, maybe that stuck with me because I always feel like those digital archives are important. And I still have that entire collection to this day. It's actually, technically, those MP3s are my oldest possessions at this point. Oh, yeah. Imagine. I'm trying to think of stuff. I, the one hand, there's a lot of stuff I wish I had from my early, early days. My classic, my color classic days. Paramax 6100 days. But at the same time, I'm, I haven't really missed it that much. I'm getting a lot of more value out of uh, joint relationships I've got now. The stuff I'm reading now and watching now, listening to now. And it's good to have, I love having that nostalgia feel in the back of my mind. I don't know if I went back and tried to play most any um, Mac OS 6 game from my uh, childhood, it would not be nearly as fun as the stuff I can get on the Switch today. It's actually it's a good reason to, I think it's a good case for not visiting a lot of stuff, is that you'll ruin it. You ruin your, yeah, you ruin your nostalgia. And you, yeah, we can distinguish the realness of your nostalgia from the accuracy of it and let one persist even as the other one, regardless of how accurate it is. Yeah. It's interesting to think about time, yeah. people didn't always have the ability to revisit nostalgia. That's a relatively new thing. Yep. Nostalgic memories were only and ever memories for almost all of human history until. I don't know, last year, basically, in the scheme of history, it might as well be. Um, I wonder what that has a kind of effect on, because there is a lot of talking and writing about how nostalgia is different today or bigger today or something. And maybe, you know, maybe that does something to us that we're not yet aware of or understanding well enough. Yeah. So think about, like, a lot of classics. Like, people, uh, everyone read Shakespeare for more than two centuries, three centuries, four centuries, I'm thinking. But many, many generations were acquainted, literate folks were acquainted with the same text, aside from what we meant in the day. But a lot of stuff that stuck through and given context over time, whereas in this context, we can feel detached from people not even five years removed from us because they had a very different childhood, a whole different set of TV shows and all that. And definitely like... Could we, degree of cultural disconnect and isolation added by the sheer churn of media. God, wait, way to turn it into a downer. Oh, I know, right? So, uh, this quote to Power Leap to this one um, from Mary Kondo makes a point that letting go is even more important than adding when it comes to stuff. Well, you, you gain a lot when you let something go. You gain, yeah. you know, more time, more attention to the things that remain, uh, that burden off your back. Um, I mean, the point of, of all this stripping down is what you get out of it, not what you're getting rid of. Exactly. Great so illustration. It's, yeah, yes, it's, it's almost like, you know, let, letting go is adding more. I think yeah. it's one way with why it's more important. Yeah, like let's compare Anthem to 
uh, into the breach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one was a messy launch, had a whole bunch of burnout. The production folks had them add in flight and take flight back out, add it back in again, take it back out, and having to redo a whole bunch of maps to that effect, rebalance things, so much effort. Whereas with Into the Breach, that is an absurdly refined game that people will be playing for a long time because it's just so polished and knows exactly what it wants to be and is that, all while still being much, much lower cost production. And I imagine it's going to be critically acclaimed for years and years. People will be playing it probably 20 years from now. They really would... Super Mario Brothers three, yeah, I can see myself coming back to it. For yeah, I think I, I probably said on a previous cast that I I could play that game forever. Uh, yeah, which there's there is a a small and over time growing collection of games that I do always go back to at one point or another. Yeah, for and this is without a whole bunch of this is without a whole bunch of DLC being added constantly. Mm-hmm. You feel like it's a perpetual value. Well, in fact, there are no games that I play long-term and keep going back to that do have DLC. Yeah. No, Every, right. Because it, it has to be a static thing for my nostalgia and my attachment to it to be stable. If it's always changing, then I'm coming back to something different. Right. So, one reason I got out of Destiny 2 was the constant churn. Like, yeah, nothing you get matters because it's just going to be replaced anyway. Right. It's like, why am I even getting these weapons in the first place? It's always going to be constantly outclassed. Or my level, my level is going to be arbitrarily made weak with a mere passage of time. Yeah. And I, those- I stopped playing it for a similar reason whenever they started talking about Destiny 3. And 2 uh, hadn't been out for that long. And it's like, what's the point of... Especially for a game where the whole point is to just keep putting into it over time. It doesn't seem like seeking out a sequel makes sense but that that just kind of sucked away all the value or, or feeling that i had for it yeah and it probably really bit them in the foot whereas again we're going to be playing like there are nes games we'll be playing well past the like mm-hmm. useful shelf life of the original consoles yeah and as hobby developers who bring it back around we don't have the time or budget to make huge, flashy games. The sooner we nail down exactly what we want our game to be, the better chance of actually completing it in the first place and making something that we can be really proud of. And yeah, pixel art is kind of a microcosm of this, uh, both this constraint and this um, this need, um, for better or for worse. And yeah, it's just or that's. That's the most visual um, outcome of that, and sort of something that ties all those games that have to make those decisions together. But it ties into every other aspect too. Um, yeah, it, it can be hard because if you're making games, it's probably because you like them, and if you like them, you probably play a lot of these games that did do all these things and were just throwing money rather than cutting scope and that comparison can be hard and you're drawing from so many resources or, or ideas from things that you that you love to play um, and you've got to make the decision that what you're making is going to be much different exactly 
Yeah. So I guess like for you know, one last quote, it would be a really good one. Human beings can only truly cherish a limited number of things at one time. And like especially speaking as hobbyist developers with one in some cases kids to worry about, both cases of ours, um, significant others to mind, life stuff like full time employment or otherwise making ends meet. Um, we don't have that much bandwidth for what we can do if we do do. And the more we can maximize the value of that, the more we can concentrate on that and really cherish the time we spend in our game dev, the better we are, the more we'll enjoy it, the more fulfilling we'll find it, and the better the game itself. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What game do you think does the worst at this? Like, what's the what's the other side of it? Like, what's the example of there's too much for me to be able to enjoy anything? A vast majority of AAA games. Basically, all of them. Yeah, I think about yeah. I, I like I loved Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild, but I really didn't need a hundred plus Korok seeds or whatever it was to find all over the map. There was just one reason I don't revisit the game is because there's just way too much to do. I never yeah, feel like I can complete, mm-hmm. complete it. Like I'll never touch Grand Theft Auto because it's so open world that I feel like I'm going to get lost in it. It can depend on how it's presented too. Yeah. Like one one counter to that I might think of is the the classic Symphony of the Night, where there is an immense and ridiculous amount of content, but the actual interaction of with and acquiring that is not so expansive. So what, what you're actually playing is still relatively stripped down and straightforward, even if it's just like a, you know, a ton of content and to reward you as you keep doing it. So it's a little different depending on whether or not that there's, there's lots of things come in the form of lots of things to do and decisions to make versus just little treats that are, given to you from a small set of, of actions. Yeah, like sometimes I just want something a little bit meatier that I can get into versus like being lit on a trail. I think, like, I think it's Homer Simpson's just picking up the M&M's or Skittles, whichever it was, right into a track of some kind. That's does bother me when I feel like it's the game sort of parsing out just enough reward to keep my dopamine system going, to keep me distracted by the game versus engrossed by the game. It was one of those, yeah, one of those I come away feeling exhausted because I've basically been getting high-carb sugary rewards um, versus, like, the high-fiber, high-nutritious really requires you to chew on it and really fills you up gameplay of a more refined game. Uh, one thing that brings to mind is, and this is this is a great example because it's existed for so long and it's changed over time. Minecraft, which yeah. in a lot of respects and to a lot of people's opinions, including my own, gets worse and worse every year as they keep adding more and more to it. Yeah, um, and not like in a you know I think this game is bad and I'm right about it being bad, but like I don't enjoy it the more there is. Yeah, at that point you just start. Getting, you get lost in the functionality versus lost in the game itself. 
Yeah, um, when you have very few things, you make everything out of those few things. And whenever there is a ridiculous amount of things, you just kind of always wonder, what am I missing? What do I not? What am I not getting from from that set yet? Because it's huge. You never get to now make the things out of the the limited palette that it gives you because you're spending all your time just trying to chase down all the different block types and item types that you can craft and. Uh, you never get around to doing your own stuff anymore um, because that the limitation was what created the original value. The reason they took out off and then they pour all that money into removing that very thing that made it work. Yeah. It's really too bad. It's so too easy to take a great thing and try to make it better without realizing how much the greatness was rooted stemmed from its simplicity. It's just like putting too many toppings on a hamburger. At some point, you get more topping than beef. And all you really need was like one size of cheese. Yeah, and I, I wonder what are the ways that because I, I will always keep coming back. I think to um, scope wise to yeah. into the breach, and I'm, I'm thinking like, what if they did that? What if they spent the next 10 years continuing to add features like, oh yeah, this game was huge and we made a bunch of money, so we're going to keep adding stuff to it since you love it so much. How would they mess it up if they kept adding to it? That would be an interesting way to parse the simplicity of it and what makes it work is what reasonable things might somebody think that adding could make better but would actually make it worse, you know, like yeah. Like uh, if they kept adding more Mecha and more kaiju, that would quickly get exhausting because you wouldn't be able to reason about what you're going to run into and plan ahead and all that. Mm -hmm. You would just be overwhelmed by sheer variability. Not to mention that, given how simple the different options are for Mecha, you'd very quickly run out of interesting variations. I mean, it comes close to that with some of the existing Mecha and with the lot the special ones you unlock at the very last, there's just, you would very quickly run out of actual distinguishing features and you get push duplication. At, at the same time, yeah. e even what they do have as far as variety of, of both the, both, both the enemies and, and the mecha are very, very much remixes of a smaller set of primitives. You know, like all yeah. the different forms of aliens you find have a, they're all just different combinations of a very small set of actions that they can all take. So even though you may not recall or it's the first time you've seen a particular enemy type, you'll know what it does. And whenever you hover over it and you see the thing it does, you immediately understand it because you've seen those actions in some other combination and some other creatures. Yeah. So they, they do a good job of that. But like if they decided... We're going to add um, new map types with varying sizes so that sometimes you get a small map and sometimes you get a really big map and sometimes you get a weird shaped map. And, you know, thinking that that variety would, I could see somebody thinking that variety would increase the, the fun of the game because you'd always have these different things mixing it up when in fact, it just, you know, it would add that extra, take away your ability to plan and reason because you're always doing it in these different contexts. Exactly. If I wanted unpredictability, I would just stick to the real world, which is absurd enough on its own. As I contrast it with uh, Monster Hunter, which I think some people affectionately think of as menu option hunter, because there's so many little different numbers to track. 
weapon options, variety, whatnot, and just gets dizzying before you can kill your first boss monster. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like, as any dev, we just simply don't have the time or spare bandwidth to make a, an absurdly complex game without devoting years to it. So it's all the more reason to focus on super refinement, very simple game, and finding the few combinations and uh, features and functionality, content whatnot, that really hit that high note, um, which may require a lot of narration and half-finished things that don't quite get there, but point the right direction. Yeah, but you know, as long as we don't try and make our own next Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, focus more on something on scale of the original Legend of Zelda, we'll have a much better chance of getting that fulfillment of uh, seeing that satisfaction we want, that seeing that craving fulfilled. Driven by that's already initiated by our game development work. The small counter to this is I, I'm kind of always torn between these two ideas of on the one hand, the 20 games that I want to pare down to things I can actually finish, and I want to make this set of 20 games, and the one game I can spend a lifetime making. And there are developers that I admire who do both. Um, people like Zach from Zach Bell Games, who you know make these little concise, fun things, and then go on and make the next thing and the next thing. And then... People like the guy behind Dwarf Fortress, who is essentially yeah. spending his entire life making a single game forever that goes against everything we're talking about, but it has a different kind of appeal and a different kind of, of reduced simplicity. And I mean, I, all, all this all this paring down and reduction is, is important and good and it helps me, but there's always this conflict with a different approach and a different end goal. But yeah. they're, they're not different approaches to the same project so that's that's the one thing is it's either these or that one yeah and so that's one thing yeah important thing about the observation was that those are two different people each doing one or the other yeah and then they're spending two different lifetimes and you only get one exactly this isn't mario you don't get three lives oh <laughs> uh, if only yeah yep so I guess that, that's really the most important thing takeaway, both from like uh, Kondo and this podcast episode, is that um, stick with what feels right to you, where it ends up being, to pick the things that spark joy and cherish those. It's never been about discarding for the sake of discarding, even if it has to come first. It's about getting down to the things that you really do want. And, and the fact that it's conscious and not just yeah. what you happen to have acquired or come across or been left with, just yeah. regardless of where you end up and what things you keep and don't, the conscious choices about them and the continuation of making conscious choices, because it is, it is something like, especially in the form of the, the condo TV show, it's really easy to kind of get that, that impression of, look, it's a thing you do. You tidy up, you cut all your stuff down and then you're happy for the rest of your life. But it's not, it's, and not not just with her methodology, but with you know lots of other types of whether it's minimalism or organizational self help is something you have to work at forever. It's it is not an event; it is a 
well, lifestyle for lack of a better term. Yeah. I was like, oh, wow, this is perfect. I opened the book back up just to near the back of the find another quote. I opened up right to this really good one. I double underlined. Uh, was it the question of what you want to own is actually the question of how you want to live your life. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's like a that. good one like to end on because like which makes a point it's not about the decluttering per se it's about figuring out how you want to live your life what? Decluttering I, think that, is part of that. I think that reflects the thing I was just saying pretty well about you know do I want to spend my life making one huge complex intricate game or 20 or 30 small concise experiences yeah. um, and, and the decisions I make about the scope and approaches that are going to work for me are going to completely change what I'll spend my life making. Yeah. And the important thing is that you pick whichever one sparks joy and keep that one. I, I want to do that. I will admit one problem is I think they both do. Oh. But I, but yeah. there simply is not room for both. Yeah. Now there is room for all 20 of the concise ones. Yeah. And that's why I think ultimately I take that route because although I would also enjoy the one giant route, it is just one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know I can think, I don't have to put my hand near it, publicly speaking, but I can feel that many smaller games would bring me more joy than one big game I ever polished, just based on how my brain works. That's something I am purposefully going to lean into mm. when anything else make that decision to keep that one so th this, this this leads really well into a topic i'd like to cover in another episode yeah. which is another um another conflict i've had about the projects i take on and the plans that i have for what i want to make is that of the 20 or so games i would definitely like to make at some point almost none of them will be able to share any assets code or technique at all because they're all Ooh. entirely different games versus the thing I thought I would be doing years ago, which is making heavily narrative tactical games that once I build up the basic engine, I would just keep cranking out. Like, um, I can't remember the, uh, like, like, um, spiderweb, uh, software who makes the, he's the, you know, the guy that makes the, um, PC RPGs for like the last 20 years and just keeps making more games in the same series. And that's his entire career, but he's always just making the, the new content. And my current approach I've found myself with though, is not able to reuse those things. And that's kind of another conflict to, to delve into at some point. Yeah. That sounds like actually a really good topic for perhaps for next week. We're at time now. So we've yes. got a, I have to do. I have to get to bed too. I've got. Speaking of um, decluttering, I'm double booked for conferences this weekend, so I'm gonna have to be more deliberate about my schedule. <laughs> you, you have to do that Fred Flintstone thing of you know running back and forth between the two restaurants because you made too many commitments. <laughs> oh God, no! I already have my step count for the week. Yeah. Okay. So so look, we're good to go for now, and uh, looks like a happy goodbye to our listeners, and good luck with. Uh, decluttering your developer life. Yeah, good luck. Thanks for listening to the SideQuest Completed Podcast. If you aren't subscribed, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. 
You can also find all our episodes and our RSS feed at sidequestcompleted.com. Subscribe today and don't miss an episode posted every Wednesday. Keep game devving and we'll see you next week.